Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the MBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel. As well as new content, we are making available selected podcasts recorded by our hosts prior to joining the MBN family. This is one of them, and so this podcast may refer to itself with a different name and identity. Enjoy the show. The center of innovation is here, and you know this is part of the message of Project Cashmere of this whole podcast that there's something happening here which is beyond just good value for money. Like I said, having the vision is great, but the key is these concrete initiatives that drive it at the ground level. I think for all those people who are really, they do extremely well with very limited resources, and we can take advantage of the really low costs here. You know, Poland is the land of opportunity, and I, and I like to say the East is the new West, because you always used to go West in history to find more adventure and danger and prove yourself. There are some good things beginning to happen here in Krakow, but we've got a very long way to go. Good morning, good evening, uh, good night, whatever time of day it is, Project Kazimierz listener. Today, we've got a very interesting guest on the podcast. Um, he set up a site called Squash Skills, and it's Mr. Jethro Bins. Rather than me try to introduce you, Jethro, could you do that yourself um, as if you're just bumped into someone at a party or some kind of event and they ask you that famous question, uh, what do you do? Hi, Richard. Um, I think I wear, I wear a couple of different hats. Primarily, I see myself as a squash coach turned entrepreneur, I guess, who um, has set up a business which primarily focuses on online online squash coaching. Um, so, obviously, using using the web to re- deliver coaching to the to the masses, I guess. Um, we're in a very fortunate position in that we've managed to engage lots of the world's best players and coaches on the platform. So, we're able to provide world class coaching. Uh, to players of all levels, uh, regardless of, of where they are in the world. So I'm the founder of that. Um, we set the company up about five years ago. Um, I was a professional squash club player. Prior to that, I got injured, um, then turned my attention to coaching, uh, and then and then set up squash skills. Um, I'm based in Bristol, uh, which obviously in England. Uh, I've been here for about seven or eight years now, and squash skills is my primary focus, but I have other kind of sidelines, um, run an events company uh, where we we put on large uh, large events, about 2,000 to 3,000 people, um, generally dance music events, underground, uh, disco, techno, house music, um, and been involved with record label as well, but primarily squashes. Squash is the number one focus, but there's there's a few other bits going on as well. Okay, well, well th- thank you very much for that, for that introduction. And uh, when I told people that because I, I became a, a customer of your of your service uh, just a couple of months ago I, and, and what was happening was that little squash videos were popping up on my Facebook my Facebook uh, profile and I'm enough of a tech savvy person to know that if I play squash and that's happening there must be something interesting going on in the background <laughs> it's, it's not by chance and um, and uh, and then I then I signed up and was really impressed by this the scale of the service and thought it'd be interesting to talk to you about you know the, the background of the business and everything like that but um, 
What uh, well, could you give a sense of the scale of the business in terms of um, you know I, I mean, maybe don't reveal anything confidential, but you know, in the terms of the number of people who work for you or the number of users or paying users or do you have freemium or how do people get on board? The, yeah, it, what, what 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 are you ready to share about the scale of the business? I think yeah, we're in um, a pretty exciting place now as a company in the sense that we've over the course of five years we've gone from. You know, this little concept with me on a laptop um, and a, a pretty crappy camera making some some videos on a on a court uh, to, I guess, one of the widely most widely regarded um, brands in the squash world. Uh, now, I think we've got a, a Facebook audience of about 93,000 um, Instagram you know, it's around 30,000, I think. Uh, and then registered users were about 52, 53,000 users on the site and, and paying subscribers were, you know, were around 5,000. Uh, so I'm happy to, happy to share that. So, yeah, 5,000 members. Um, we're across all areas of the world, um, primary, primary markets, uh, generally the English speaking ones. So UK, uh, US, Canada, Australia, India, South Africa tends to be our top six, um, We've got world, uh, got nine world number ones on the site, uh, and then a number of coaches who have coached world number ones, as well as a, a host of other great, great squash players and squash coaches uh, who haven't quite made it to number one. Um, but yeah, we've, we're very fortunate in that we've got the support of the, the PSA, the Professional Squash Association. Uh, we've got some strong, strong partnerships. We're exploring partnerships with England Squash, European Squash. Um, so we kind of dived into a space that obviously nobody else was in. Uh, nobody really knew if you could learn a sport online, I think, prior to to us diving in and giving it a go. So it was kind of a daunting, a daunting day. Um, well, th- well, thank you. Thank you for sharing, sharing the sharing the numbers and certainly it's the reaction that I've got from some people that I told I've signed up for this online squash course and you see people looking at you and they say basically you're joking you know how how would that work and you know and you know I I I think that you know and I suppose um I'm not the first person that you've met who's reacted oh, sorry I, I, I I've bought in because I'm, I'm into online technologies but I I'm very much an early adopter of new technologies. My 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 apartment is littered with sort of like failed technical things that I bought from <laughs> years ago that never worked. But um, what do you say to someone who who just like basically disbelieves that you can learn squash online? Because you presumably you, you meet people and they say, "Come off it! How do you do that?" And it does. It's 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 not exactly intuitive, is it? Yeah, it's an interesting one because there's no denying that getting on court with a coach and having a one-on-one lesson with some with an expert who can identify exactly what is going wrong with your game or what is wrong with your swing isn't beneficial and that's that's going to allow you to make massive strides forward just having a half an hour lesson. Uh, but the thing that you're confined to is the quality of that coach, their ability to identify those issues and then that 40-minute window in which you've got to practice and, and improve whereas squash skills gives you the ability to access the world's best players and coaches and yes it, you have to you have to identify the problems in your own game or your own technique or your own swing but there's this library of well, I mean we're three and a half thousand videos now so we're covering big variety 
or you know, or the whole the whole spectrum really of the sport. And we've got different people's ideas and perceptions about how the sport should be played. So you have to cherry pick that. You you have to go work through the site and and identify what resonates with you and try and think, ah, that's the reason my backhand's not very good. That tip would be really useful. So I think the idea that you have to dive in and identify what works for you and what doesn't, maybe try things out means that it could be a slightly longer process than that, just that half an hour lesson um, or 45 minute lesson with, with the local pro. But what you are getting is that insight and knowledge into the world's best players and coaches who've been there, who've done it, who know this is how you deliver results. You know, the best coaches know how to coach a world number one. So they know how to convey the information that you need or, or the teaching points so that you can understand it. So I think that's the exciting thing that Squash Skills offers is this, this vast library, this vast kind of diversity that the players must then understand and jump into their own game. Um, so I think that that's the key. It, it can definitely be done. You've just got to understand your own game a little bit more before putting the changes in, in place. Yes, I mean, I, I because I unfortunately, I, it's not, I hope it's not a bad injury, but I, I had to stop around a month ago. I've got some knee, knee problems, so I haven't been to follow up that much. But I have been for playing for more than 30 years with never having any coaching and just a really, really simple things I just never knew about. I'd learned how to serve. You serve so the ball strikes the side wall before, before it reaches, you know, the fact that it's to give the, the European and the opportunity to volley. I kind of knew that, but having a, a world expert say that, you know, it just sort of... Oh, it's something, it's something, it's something very, very simple can, can make a really big difference. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, that's not to negate the, the val- I mean, as, as you said, there's, is, did you say there's 3,500 or 350 videos up there? No, it's 3,500 3, videos. And I think that's really interesting just to hear you say, say that, that to me it's so obvious that the, the serve must hit the sidewall or should hit the sidewall, but you forget that people who are completely new to the game why would they know that if they've not had had any coaching? So I think having this library that covers all aspects of the sport means that people can just dive in and pick up these tidbits, which actually can dramatically improve their game just by doing something as simple as focusing on your serve, you know? Yeah, um, that's just one thing. But I, I think the other thing I'd say is that, you know, one of the reasons I think this is an interesting, a very interesting uh, topic for our audience who are primarily entrepreneurs and people interested in innovation is that, um, although you're talking about squash, this can be very much generalised. There's a famous uh, project on the uh, education project on the internet called Khan Academy, set up by an American, Salman Khan, who started teaching online. And some of his, I think he started teaching his nephews maths and recording them YouTube videos because he wasn't in the same place. And as he said on the TED stage, he soon discovered something very surprising that his his nephew told him he prefers the video to him. And the right. and the point was that if he's teaching teaching live and he doesn't understand something he feels a bit embarrassed to stop and say but if it's a video you can stop rewind stop rewind and you don't have that sense of of failure or scrutiny when you're talking when it's a machine that's uh, 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 talking to you and obviously if you're with a coach the coach can give you feedback about your game but it's you don't necessarily get the best angle to see the coach demonstrating how to do things and you see them once and you forget so uh, it's not just that you know, you're using the internet is is different, but in some ways, it's actually I would say it's actually better than having a coach in the in the court, isn't it? Yeah, that's a fascinating point. I hadn't um, thought about it in in quite that way. I mean, I've always seen it as we've used marketing strap lines as like 
like having the te- 10 world number ones in your pocket, um, you know, with the event of, of mobile technology, you've got the opportunity just to dive back into that video at any point. You can be on the bus going to the court or on the train going to the court and you can pull out that video and you can refresh it. You can watch it as many times as you want until it becomes fully ingrained or you can pull it up on the court and you can, you know, you as you say, you can hit the ball then you can stop then you can rewind and it's that, you know, it's not in real time. You're not chasing you're not chasing your tail essentially are you you've got that ability to stop pause rewind reflect and digest so yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense which um yeah it does because i don't know your product that well um do you offer a service where people can record themselves and upload themselves playing and sort of like as a premium product then have someone review their individual game is that something that's in the platform or coming and um, it was <laughs> It was, and it's not right now, and will probably be something that comes back. Um, I guess primarily we we, t- we partnered up with a company called V1, who specialise in golf swing analysis. So they have a really great tool um, where you can film yourself. I mean, there's lots of other products right, like Coach's Eye as well, uh, where people can film themselves on their phone and then send it over. And in the early days, Peter and I were doing those, um, and they just became a bit time heavy. Um, you know, we were a very small, naive, young company um, that was was myself and Peter. And we were trying to work out ways to generate cash. So we thought that would be a brilliant idea. So, you know, $20 lesson, you could send your swing off to to Peter Nickel, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the greatest squash players of all time, and get your swing analysed. And that would take Peter and I kind of, you know, it was no more than a five-minute video, but it would possibly take 15, 20 minutes to actually do this, um, to do this analysis and then send it back. And then you soon realize that actually, if you're doing too many of those a week, then you're not focused on growing the business and the true scalability of this business is in creating a library and growing subscriptions, you know, because that doesn't require our man hours, you know, Mm. for people to actually ultimately become a subscriber. So it just became a little bit time heavy. uh, But I 100% think it's a great idea. Lots of people, you know, got great benefit from that because you could use side-by-side comparisons to the pros. People would really see what they were doing compared to a professional swing. And it's definitely something I want to, to re-explore, but probably using other coaches and to, to deliver rather than taking time away from myself and Peter, who obviously, well, myself and I primarily running the business, but taking time away from us from day to day. No, because I, I, I remember I, quite often like sitting sitting um, in the rest area that very often squash courts have got the CCTV somewhere in the reception just like recording what's going on. I remember, I remember years ago just thinking, could that be uploaded into the cloud and someone somewhere... Uh, just give you feedback about your game, so the content's being captured. And I, th- I think that you know you could certainly have a, a revenue share where someone, someone somewhere, maybe even listening to this podcast, could contact you and say, "Look, send the video to me. I'll analyze it." And then obviously you could have different levels. You could have like basic feedback. You know, I'll look through it and fast forward and give you give you ten minutes, or I'll go through in real time. And you know, I'll be on. You'll be on Skype. I'll be on Skype. I'll be going through, and like one thing might cost twenty dollars, and another another hundred and if you have a world champion coaching you could charge charge more than that so I'd, I'd have thought that it's a natural way to offer people more if and technically it wouldn't be it wouldn't be that difficult and you could obviously it's just a question of money really isn't it that it, take, it takes so much time that's it it's, it's time we offer we do offer it um on the fitness side of things gary uh, offers bespoke training uh, training programs and skype calls 
<clears throat> so there's personal training programs available. Uh, we've got <clears throat> a gold and a, a platinum package, you know, with a bit more contact, and um, it's definitely something that makes makes a lot of sense. It's just yeah, well, what's the focus of the business? And at the moment, we're focusing on growth and an increasing subscriber base. So just, you know, time, resource, prioritization. So yeah. it's definitely something that will definitely appear again. I was curious. And I'm interested in the, sort of the bit of the, the financing and the history of the business. But if we go back, I, I, one of the things that I'm always interested in, and I think the listeners are too, is what we call the, the entrepreneurial journey that I know from my research that you were a very keen squash player when you were growing up, but you also, you had these other businesses and were you like encouraged to be an entrepreneur? Did you see yourself as an entrepreneur? Did you know what an entrepreneur was? And at what stage in your life did it suddenly, did it sort of, did it occur to you that, you know, you might, it might be a better thing for you to do, to do your own thing rather than work for other people? And what, and what did your family think about that? Yeah, it's an interesting one because focusing on an individual sport means you, you know, it's all about you. If you don't put the hours in, ultimately you're not going to get anywhere. So I started playing squash at seven and that became a passion at 10 really. And then went through school, became this Welsh national champion at every junior age group. And by kind of 15, 16, it became apparent that this was potentially a career option. Um, so at 16, there was a coaching badge uh, or I got my got my coaching badge and was delivering some lessons to other pupils in school and taking a little, earning a bit of money there and then trying to run some after school clubs. So there was this desire to kind of eke out cash where I could. Um, you know, squash isn't the most lucrative of sports, that's for sure. And until you go and move on and do coaching in the States, that's kind of a natural progression and pathway. Um, but for me, it was get the coaching qualifications. And then I went, I went pro for a year in my gap year uh, between 18 and 19. I went off to South Africa and trained there. So it, the desire to earn cash, that wasn't at the forefront of mind. It was how do I become as good at this sport as I possibly can? Because being an 18, 19 year old squash player, scraping 30 pounds for a squash match here and there is, is not the way to make your millions. Um, but just, just to stop, stop you there. The, um, Obviously, I mean, I'm assuming that squash is like any other sport at a high level. It's a very major time commitment. You, you have to train. And how many hours, are, obviously, you had your schoolwork and stuff, but how many hours a, a day were you putting into your squash? Because it's more than a hobby when you're doing it at that level, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, I guess, you know, as during my early teens, it was playing four or five times a week plus tournaments at weekends, trying to squeeze in some training at lunchtime. As you get to 17, 18, it's, you're trying to get two sessions in a day. Um, and then, it, you know, once you're full time, it really is, it's two to three sessions a day and you know, rest is equally as important as, as training mm-hmm. at that level. So you're putting in lots of hours. It's, it's two to three sessions a day, five and a half days a week. That was generally my rule unless, you know, we had obviously competitions at the weekend. So there was definitely a balance, uh, a balance in school, which was you know, education and squash. Uh, and then that shifted as we went as I went to university um, at that point you know <laughs> I guess you know the university lifestyle creeps in so then you're suddenly balancing a social life right with study and then and then squash um, but that was that was a kind of fascinating time because I went to, to Loughborough University in the middle of the UK and that gave me a real opportunity to play a number of different leagues um, all around the country so I was playing 
Northwest Counties League on a on a Tuesday, Yorkshire League on a Wednesday, Welsh League on a Thursday, and then some foreign leagues at the weekend. So I was kind of chasing around in a beat-up car doing a thousand miles a week, trying to to scrape the pennies together where I could, um, which was nice through university. Uh, you know, I was in a privileged position where I could earn, earn some cash. Um, whereas other students weren't necessarily from, from, able to from, do that. From your, from your squash, the people were paying you to train them, were they? Was that the base? No, no, no. This was to play professional, to play league matches. So I'd play for a team in the Yorkshire League and I'd get you know, 80 or £100 pounds to play and then I'd go and do the same for a different team in another league and was doing that two to three times a week. So... So it's okay, it's okay, but it's not going to make you rich, right? It's just, it's, it's, I mean, it might surprise, I, mean, I, I don't know anything about the world of professional sport, but sometimes people imagine, they hear about the headline figures of footballers and imagine that all, all sports pros are very rich, and from what you're saying, that was not the case. Not, not the early days of, certainly not when you're ranked 220 in the world at, at squash, you know, you're, you're barely, you know, you're not paying, I, there's not many people hitting the tax threshold. Um, at that level, you know, it really is a struggle. For for our non-British uh, listeners, who are most of them, I think the tax threshold is around twelve thousand pounds a year or ten thousand. Yeah. Okay, so you're, yeah. and this is this is less than a decent software developer gets in Krakow. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and and the UK is much more expensive than than Krakow, as everyone knows. So, but then you had your your side business, your record business. So it's again, it's it's trying to figure out where because obviously. You had, to an extent, you had a slightly unusual childhood. You had your you had your big thing that consumed a big chunk of your sort of. It's not just your time, but also it must be your psychological energy. You've got this thing that's much more important to you than most most teenagers' hobbies, right? I would guess. And so that that like takes both your your energy and your like ambition to some extent. But you you then you set up this this record label or event business, and where did where did that come from in your in your character? If if you can sort of like. Nestled out because was it just you needed to make money and this occurred to you as a way to do it? No, no, that was another way of not making a lot of money to be fair. I mean, I think we've skipped out uh, a a chunk of time because Uh if we went, maybe we'll just touch upon the record label afterwards. If I just explain the journey from post university, um, that went on to playing on the world tour and traveling, I managed to get some lottery funding. Uh, at the time became Welsh champion and started climbing the ranks. So I became very fortunate in that I was able to go and travel the world, uh, playing the world tour uh, and got up to 86 in the world and was flying off to Colombia, Ecuador, the States, Australia. You know, it was, a, it was a really exciting time, particularly as a, you know, a young 20 something uh, to be seeing the world and playing a sport you love, but you know, ultimately not really earning a great deal of cash. Uh, and then I went off to the World University Championships in Cairo and was playing in the quarterfinals there and then slipped. I uh, did the splits going into the front corner, did splits, did a lunge, and then I managed to tear my hamstring off my pelvis, uh, which meant that it was seven months out of action. So I'd, I'd just become the, the largest mover in the world for that year, up to 86. And then suddenly it was surgery, had to have my hamstring reattached. And that was a bit of a that was a bit of a game changer, really. Uh, eventually, came back on tour seven months later, played tournament in San Francisco, and did quite well. Um, but then the following season was just a real struggle. You can imagine one hamstring being slightly shorter than the other, mm. or slightly tighter than the other. So, just struggled with injuries, struggled to be fit, and I had a really tough year 
<clears throat> which ultimately resulted in me losing my lottery funding mm. uh, and then then losing lottery funding which was it was about eight thousand pounds a year to fund flights to tournaments and you know that made made it just about possible to to kind of float around at 100 in the world um that disappeared and that what became a reality was right i'm gonna have to go and earn some money and professional squash is going to be a real struggle here so at that point i moved to bristol uh, with a coach, Hadrian um, Stiff, who's a very good friend of mine, and he runs a company called Elite Squash, and we partnered up. Or I, I went to work for him essentially, but we we're trying to grow his company, Elite Squash. Um, he had a number of county champions and British champions, and had a very very good setup. Uh, so we we were working together, and then um, there was a family friend uh, back in uh, Abergavenny who I was spending time with. And it was at that point where he introduced me to the idea of online. He saw some online tennis coaching and he said, do you think we can, um, we could do something similar in squash? And as you know, I had plenty of time on my hands. So I still, yeah, I've plenty of time on my hands. And, uh, that was where squash skills was born. Mm. And at that point I was living in Bristol. So squash skills was trying to evolve whilst I was in Bristol and at that same time, having moved to Bristol, kind of being a 23, 24 year old, I think having maybe missed out on, hadn't immersed myself in kind of partying and being able to go out, uh, suddenly that, that happened as, you know, no, not have, not being having the pressure of being a professional squash player. Oh, well, I can go out the weekend. This right. is this is doesn't, fun. Doesn't matter if you have a hangover. <laughs> no, exactly. So it was like, oh, this this is cool. Oh, I really like this kind of music. And got into you know, started listening to house music. And I was like, oh, this is great. I wonder if I could um, maybe get into to DJing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bought some little controller and and started trying to trying to DJ really really badly, um, but was very very sociable in Bristol. So at that point I started trying to throw some smaller parties whilst launching squash skills, built up a, a good group of friends. And we started by showing you know, 30, 40 people in the basements of pubs and mm. it was all very basic, but I was trying really hard and trying to make friends with all the cool kids in Bristol. And did that work? Also, I don't, I don't. Well, yeah, it did. <laughs> it did. That was where the, where just Jack came from. Um, just Jack had been around for four or five years and ticking along and was, was throwing some cool parties. They were respected mm-hmm. um, in the underground, but then they wanted to expand. And with my kind of social enthusiasm, um, I got asked to, to be a part of the collective mm-hmm. then. So suddenly there were five or six of us, uh, you know, trying to grow this brand. And we took it from you know, throwing a party in a club with two, three hundred people to, to now doing events with kind of three thousand people. Um, we're involved at festivals in in Croatia, uh, festivals in Bulgaria. Then Wait. that went on to four of us going on to develop the record label. Do you, still do, record do, label. do you still do that? On the, uh, is it, you... I, I do. We've got a party tomorrow, actually, two and a half thousand people. Uh, and yeah, we've got got festivals lined up this summer. So it's just uh, just the two of us now uh, who are kind of in the day to involved in the day to day running of the event side of the business. What's the name? Uh, of the, what's the name of the business? Just for anyone listening, 
Uh, it's just Jack. Just Jack. Uh, okay. Just Jack, and then Just Jack Recordings is is the record label. So three of us are actively, well, three of the guys are actively involved in the record label, and two of us actually involved in the day to day running of of the events company. Okay, good, because um, there are, I mean, I'll I'll put a link in the show notes. But if anyone's listening who's not as interested in in in, in squash as they are in music, then the, this is an alternative. And there are some big festivals in Poland, and I, I, and so maybe maybe as an unlikely unlikely uh, a possible side effect of this, you know, maybe there could be a just check event sometime in Poland. There's a really really big coat life festival, and there's a Heineken opener up in the north, which um, which are pretty big scale. But but I and I know people in that world, and that's that's a nice nice follow up. But so 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 you had this idea. I suppose the good thing for squash skills about that is that there's a certain process in trying to promote and publicize and grow something which it, it doesn't matter whether it's rocket, <laughs> rocket fuel or nails or a hairdresser you have to identify there's a certain process of figuring out for whom this is and how to reach them isn't there <clears throat> absolutely i think i learned a hell of a lot in being involved with just jack and understanding promotion branding brand identity uh what's cool and what's not um you know tom rio the person i run just jack with he's a very strong influence he was actually our first web designer mm-hmm. but he's brand director for just jack and his creative ideas are you know off, off the charts and i learned a lot from him and i think that came across in the early days of squash skills uh, i was a luck- lucky enough to be in in an office with some very creative people and i think squash has always been Certainly not the most glamorous or glitzy sport in the world. No, it's getting a lot better now. It's sort of sweat, sweaty, sweaty, and sweat, sweaty people in ugly buildings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I think that was where the creative influence of Just Jack and Bristol, I hope, kind of shines through a little bit within the brand identity of Squash Skills. And it, I wanted to do something that was a bit cool or or cooler and a bit different to what was out there in the squash world. I think Squash TV and PSA have done, you know, huge volumes for improving the accessibility of the game and, and the impression of the game. But five or six years ago it certainly wasn't the case. So there was definite crossover between the music side of things and and sport, you know, which the two don't necessarily go hand in hand. But I think in what we tried to do and when we were building the brand and create the brand identity, that overlap I hope was quite apparent. Yeah, I mean, I mean certainly from a, from a business point of view, if anyone was listening, thinking, "Oh, this is a good idea. Could I copy this?" Is there are various things you've got which would make, even if someone had really major resources, would make it really hard because you mentioned in the Just Jack thing, you knew all the cool kids, the the squash equivalent of the cool kids, are all these world famous trainers and champions. That these are the people that people want to hang out <laughs> with, and it's, you can't just manufacture that. These the individuals to some extent are part of the brand, aren't they? They're, they're they go with the brand don't they absolutely and peter nichols the you know the foundation of all of that i peter was world number one for five years and he was managing my print sponsorship uh, at the time when we came up with the idea of squash skills and i asked him to get involved or if he'd like to be involved and do some videos he said oh yes i'll do it under my print's contract so we filmed with him and we filmed with him in canary wharf and it became apparent that he was great delivery and he you know he would be wonderful a wonderful asset to the site so we offered him shares in the company and then so when, when you when you say we who was your partner for the for this the, the guy so, the guy who had the tennis the tennis idea what what's yeah, his name uh john gallagher um and unfortunately yeah that didn't end well that relationship um but you know he needs to be credited with 
introducing this idea of um, you know can we teach squash online um, and it did it didn't pan out unfortunately there wasn't a lot of cash kicking around and we were all in different places needing different things and John and I we don't speak anymore unfortunately but he he stepped out of the business and Peter and I took it over um, and it, I had a small amount of inheritance. Um, what, but it was, what's a small? Can you put a number to small? I know. Yeah, I put about, yes, about six, I had about six thousand um, pounds at one point. My granddad had died a couple of years previous, and it was like, well, I think this is something I believe in. Mm. And you know, we've not we've flirted around the idea of getting it off the ground for probably nine, twelve months, and it was going nowhere. At, at one point, John John was kind of actively encouraging us to sell electricity and water to groups of squash clubs rather than focusing on a video like okay, this video okay. platform that's what they call um, a, that's what they call a pivot <laughs> yeah it was it was a, it was pretty bizarre set i was like no i do believe in this we've got access to all these great players mm-hmm. let's make it happen so one day i just said to peter i said look i'm up for sticking this cash in i believe in it let's do it let's commit to it mm. and, and and we did and that was and, and he, he put in money as well no, no, he put in time. Um, I mean, he bought a few items, my pads, and you know, and his, reputa- and his reputation. He's the you know, uh, coming back to your original question, Pete's access and friendships with world number ones, world top ten. I mean, I had I had a number of relationships, but people weren't going to jump through hoops to help me out to mm. do free videos. Whereas Peter was running the Legends tour at the time, so he could say to those guys that you know we're paying them to come and do a weekend so you said well if you can do the legends tour then you can we got a bit of feedback i said um if if you're going to come and play in the event then you know i'd like you to get get some videos out of you so that kind of gave us the instant credibility yeah i mean it's a huge thing and you know i think you know i think it's an interesting i don't know how 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 much you want to share or don't want to share on a public thing about things not working out with your partner your first partner but it's a really it's a really important thing to recognize what people bring and some sometimes you know the value of someone's name can be way more than six thousand pounds but then so or in, in this case and you know to a polish listener they might be quite surprised that you can get a business off the ground for six thousand pounds because that's at the sort of family and friends level not at the level of this is uh, sorry just for listeners that's about twenty five thousand zloty at or 30 you know with with brexit and the pound going lower and lower it'll probably be it'll probably be six thousand yeah. zloty by the time someone's listening in a couple <laughs> of years time but but the but the basic the basic um, point is that it was you didn't go for external VC funding. You built something that could start generating revenue with that little money. But just coming back to the the the, the reasons you fell out, and are there any is there any advice you'd give to someone listening who's considering you know innocent? They've got an idea. They're just getting it going. Like what sort of things you need to nail down with your partner at the early stage to avoid avoid uh, sort of separation of ways being painful or difficult yeah it's a tough one i've not been very good at getting contracts signed and agreements made mm. so i think getting thing getting contracts drawn up early early on is good and outlining expectations and being clear from the officer i think goalposts always move situations always change mm-hmm. um but you need to know what you're putting in and what your partner's prepared to put in i think as soon as there's an imbalance there in time and effort it can cause friction yeah uh, that's 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 the reality you want to be putting 50 50 in and that makes if you if you both feel like you're pulling the same amount then life becomes much easier as soon as 
it feels like you're quite you're not quite doing that. Um, it becomes tougher. I think having a clarity of vision as well. I think that was that was the primary reason that you know, John and I fell out. We we were going off at a tangent when we were trying to sell water to squash companies at one point. Peter, you know, had Peter Nickel making phone calls asking if people wanted to buy discounted water. And I'm like, oh, this isn't an online squash coaching platform. This is this is this is not the vision. This is not what no, we can no, I, I understand. Can achieve. Well, I, I think one, one, one comment I'd make based on you know, multiple experiences, the va- people quite often overestimate the value of the idea. And like uh, the, the head of Dell Computers, Michael Dell, said it's 99% nuts and bolts execution by which you're getting things done. And, you know, someone might have the great idea of online squash, squash coaching, but if, if they're not doing much work the, and you're doing most of the work, then, then it clearly, you know, I would say the value of the idea might be 5 or 10%. And if someone said, well, you know, I've got this idea, I've got 10,000 quid and I want 10% of the business, you go off and do it. That might be a reasonable deal, but, but, but you know, I can support you, but I'm not going to do the work. You know, that might be a deal that would work on a sort of a 90-10 basis, but not on a, not on a 50-50 yeah. basis. Because it's, it's like carrying dead weight in the organisation, isn't it? If you've got, you know, it's, it's also quite demotivating if you feel you're working for someone who's not actually, con- who hasn't, isn't contributing, I suppose. Absolutely, it's tough. But then you've got, you know, you also have to reflect on the the other value they bring, or you know, yeah. somebody's got to put the the donkey work in, and it's a balance. It's just being aware, I think, of being aware of what both parties bring. But it's much easier if you're both absolutely one hundred percent laser focused on what you're trying to achieve, and you're both, or however many partners are involved, if you're all prepared to put in the same amount of effort to get there, life becomes much simpler I think, as from a starting point absolutely for sure. and, and one thing that I, I was curious about you, you when you were choosing talking about getting money together it sounds like did you ever apply for normal jobs like you know actually someone paying you a salary <laughs> did, you, no. did you ever consider that as an as an option because I mean, for most people they like, said so, well I decided not to do that because and or or I tried and no one would hire me or whatever it was yeah I've I've been in, I think I'm in the fortune, I don't know if it's fortunate or not, but I, I've never had a job interview, um, which is, given I'm 33. How old are you now? 33. And presumably, so, you've, presumably you've interviewed other people to join your organisation. Yes, absolutely. So, you, so yeah. you have, you've just been on the other side of the table, right? Well, that's it, that's it, yeah. I've, um, I don't know, it's an, it's an interesting one, I've... I remember we we did um, once we got a couple of years in we en- we ended up getting some investment and I sat down with some potential investors and they said uh, what would you what would you be doing if you weren't doing squash or squash skills and I said oh just I think I'd be unemployable <laughs> and, <laughs> and what I meant by that I, you know I'm definitely a bit all over the place in terms of I'm like a magpie I like shiny things mm-hmm. and I kind of jump from project to project but I think that's where some of the the good creative elements of our business, you know, the business has come out. I just need somebody to kind of rein me in. Um, so, yeah, I, it, there was never ever a really much of a plan beyond professional squash. And then the logical step after that was coaching. But it became apparent that, you know, I spent 28 years on a squash court. I didn't want to spend the next 40 years stood on a squash court delivering lessons and you know the the way to make money really in, in squash through coaching is to move to the states and you know you're coaching um coaching kids who don't necessarily want to aspire to be world number one they want to get in, get their um 
scholarship into an Ivy League college and there's lots of coaches they finish their their playing career and they move over to the States get paid lots and lots of money but there's an element of you know child care in there as well and it's it's not just all it's not, about this it's not, the, uh, it's not the dream right you know that's it so there's a couple of things I want to pick up on you mentioned the you mentioned the investment and you mentioned um, let's say the the vision. Um, talk, talk me through why you went to get external investment and how how, how that went and what, how necessary that that has been. Yeah, so we I think we got the business to a you know a place where there was a turnover of you know a couple of hundred thousand, um, but we had uh, an old dated website that we kind of you know. The website that I initially invested my six thousand pounds in mm-hmm. um, was built in Joomla, and it was clunky and slow and very, very dated. And it became apparent that we were just kind of building on quicksand. You were trying to add new features, but we needed a, a new website. So that was kind of the primary driver. And we were, you know, we'd been on a shoestring uh, since we started. Really, you know, Pete was hardly taking any any salary. Um, I was taking the bare amount I could to to live really and then we were using you know the, the staff in the office were apprentices and Rory our editor who's been with us now five years he was an art student who'd never done any editing himself at all and then we had a 16 year old apprentice so we really were bootstrapped we would you know but we got to this point where we had a reasonably healthy turnover but to expand we need to spend a chunk of cash on on a new website new platform ideally we didn't have any marketing expertise really mm. so we needed to bring a marketeer in so at that point it became apparent that you know we do need some external investment so so how do we go in how do we go and seek this out um and obviously peter peter is living in new york with with his wife jess and they have connections to wealthy squash playing families, I guess, in yeah. the States. And and then I went and did um, uh, Dragon's Den, Den uh, type thing over here in in the UK um, between the, the two parties, the States and the, and the UK, we raised a quarter of a million, uh, which we then, well, spent very badly <laughs> in hindsight. How, how, much, um, how much did you give away for the, uh, of the company for or so? Not- yeah, not uh, about twelve percent. Oh, so, yeah, a five million pound valuation, in fact. Yeah, we did. Um, we did okay. Uh, the, I mean, the vision, the company actually is called Learn from a Legend, mm. um, and the theory behind that is you learn from legends in their respective sports. So it's not, so, it's not, it's not limited to squash skills. You, you, no, you could be doing golf or golf or table tennis or whatever. You know. Well, we have a partnership with a judo company, so Superstar Judo actually already exists. Um, so we partnered up with another Bristol company called Fighting Films to launch the um, the judo version, which is up there and and live. Um, it's interesting. I think the that was what we sold the investors on was this expansion into other sports, and we'd look to recreate this model. It's it's proving tricky uh, because you realise how much effort is required to to kind of really nail the vertical of squash because you can go really deep into squash, especially with connections, our access to squash TV, squash TV footage. You know, as soon as you start looking at other sports like tennis, you realise how expensive a proposition that could be to get off the ground. If you're looking to get ATP footage, you're looking to get other pros. You know, they're not going to be getting out. But but, you know, if, I, if it, but if anyone listening to this is like a big a big cheese in the world of 
whatever croquet. It could be anything, right? It, it, it could literally be anything. They're, they're, but they, they've got the they've got this. Doesn't necessarily have to be you, but they're deeply into a sport and they've got that feeling they don't want to just be teaching croquet for the rest of the. I'm picking croquet at random. I guess I always thought yeah. croquet is actually quite a, a an a underrated vicious, vicious sport where you can lose friends and, <laughs> and you can and you can drink and <laughs> so, um, yeah. But it's um, and I, as far as I know, it's never been commercialized. I haven't never researched it, but but you know, <laughs> anyone who's into a sport, you could presumably there's a deal to be done where you try and transfer notice, but someone else has to be the leader, right? Because it's it needs to be an all on full time passion for the for the man or woman running it, right? Absolutely, I think that's the thing. It's it requires a lot of time and effort to really nail your sport and you need those connections within your sport and you know the fighting film superstar judo is 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 doing doing really nicely um but it's it's tough they've been ingrained in the sport again for for 20 30 years you know as a company they've got connections and i think that's the thing with this to you know to get it off the ground without crazy amounts of capital requires calling in favors and it requires access to legends and pros and um and it's also it's easier to call in the favors. If, it's easier to call in the favors if you're bootstrapping than if you're a well-funded startup. You know, it's like doing Jethro a favor is a bit different than some sort of smarmy, smarmy MBA from INSEAD in, 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 in or, or or wherever. You know, it's just like it's a different. Oh, I used to work for Goldman Sachs, and now make me a free video. It doesn't really work. <laughs> no, that's right. It's, it, yeah, you're, you're completely right. And I mean, Masterclass. I don't know if you've seen the Masterclass website uh, where they have got a, a short series of Serena Williams teaching tennis. They've got, I think, you know, one of the top DJs teaching dance music production, you know, Dead Mouse teaching dance music productions, mm. uh, uh, Gordon Ramsay teaching cooking, but they're kind of shorter courses mm. uh, rather than really diving into a sport in the same mm. way that we are with that kind of depth and breadth. Uh, but people are starting to enter the space, but I think, you know, I'm pretty sure they raised. I think it was, it was well over 100 million, um, might be 200 million. You know, and <laughs> you look at the quality of their production, and it's it's insane. But you realise, you know, to get Kevin Spacey teaching acting, you know, they must be paying those those leaders. Uh, a huge amount of cash. I mean, this, uh, is sort of, this is a sort of project to do with someone else's money rather than, than your, your own. Exactly. It's certainly not mine. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I would say that you know the the implication is that also I was going to come to like the way you acquire clients, but also the lifetime value of your clients. That if you look at the Squash Source website, there are additional things like events and you know holiday camps, and clearly. If uh, if you look at it, I'd, I'd say the the masterclass idea is rather bad because if you charge someone, you know, whatever it is, a hundred or a five hundred or a thousand dollars once for a short course, what happens afterwards? Whereas in, in principle, if someone's deeply into squash or whatever, it's not just the coach. There's there's other things that you know that you might do if this is your passion, like particularly you know going on a squash holiday, a squash camp, you know, and then then you know that might be a thousand or a thousand pounds or dollars or euros and you know of the so there's additional things that you can do for people in the context of going deep into a sport or, or like you've got the person so presumably that's part of your strategy isn't it to sort of like gradually sort of build the range of things that you offer people absolutely i think that's you know we've we've offered what price point um or well a monthly quarterly and annual subscription 
um, for it's, it's you know, about, since we started. It's about 120 euros or something like that, isn't it? Yes, for the year. Yeah, yeah. So 10, you know, 10, 12 euros a month ish, I think. Um, but we're, we're trying to deliver value every week. You know, we, we're putting a new series, a new playlist from a top coach or, or player out every week. So there's continually new content. So there's a reason to stay on on board. Um, we started off with the coaching camps four years ago where we were running them out of the same venue in uh, Surrey Sports Park, kind of time after time, and people were coming for the coaches. But then we recently, we did our first camp in Amsterdam uh, just before Christmas and kind of as a bit of a destination camp and you realise that all the people that have typically come to your camp in Berkhamstead or in Guildford, you know, the same camp in the UK, and suddenly go, oh, this is great, I can go to a cool European city and turn it into a bit of holiday and I can take the wife. Mm. So now this idea of these destination camps is is the next thing. We've got this core group of, you know, we have 24 people mm. on the camp and every camp we have 12 to 14 returning customers. So actually if we can take those people to a new exciting space and offer offer more value um in a different city that's yeah absolutely I, I, something part i mean of, uh, that's really interesting two of my kids are, uh, are magicians and they went off to a american magic camp for like teenage magicians it's quite it's quite high level and you know they both are capable of earning money from their from their tricks but there's an idea with one idea kicking around the family is would there be a european equivalent because there are these things and you you, you suddenly think well yes you could do it as a family thing so you know the parents come and have fun their their their, their kids are being just doing sort of magic workshops you know uh, how to hypnotize people or whatever all day and um you know it's it, it, i think there's there's definitely something in that. Um, so, so, so that that sort of sounds like perfect sense. And again, you know, this could work in other sports, but it's not that easy to get a new one, get a new one going. And um, what about your market? You mentioned you you need you 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 wasted most of the money or some of the money. You spent it rather badly when you got it from the investors. So, what? How are you? How are you wasting it? And what would you do differently? And, and particularly, I think many listeners are always interested in how people get clients. So, if you obviously you had your squash skills video popping up on my on my Facebook wall, <laughs> so that tells, yeah. you, tells tells me that someone knew what they were doing. But you just can you, can you explain a bit about that? Yes, yeah, so in terms of. Um, um, the web develop well the, the investment we spent it on, on the new platform and we worked with a, a web development agency in Bath who we just parted ways with and it's been a pretty yeah it, the, the relationship definitely degenerated to a point where it became unworkable um, and I think part of the main reason for that was that we had this old clunky website <clears throat> that we needed to replace and then we came up with all these ideas about what this future platform could be. And it had, you know, whistles and bells and had every feature you could possibly imagine. And rather than just going, right, let's build an MVP and let's just replace what we've got. Let's really nail that. Let's make, build it for speed, efficiency, optimize it. We went in with those guys and tried to build a spaceship that had all these added features, you know, Essentially, people really like our product for the coaching content, the weekly playlists. Mm. But we've got training planners, we've got training diaries, we've got um, fitness programs, we've got group chat where you can speak to a coach internally, and we just massively overcomplicated it. So we built this platform that the agency quoted for, and it was a big chunk of the money that we um, 
we got this investment and, and they said they could build it and unfortunately they couldn't um, there was a shop you know we had a shop in there that we still haven't even been delivered the shop was supposed to be delivered two and a half years ago and it's never gone live oh. so yeah we I think that, that was the, that's the biggest well, if, thing if, if, the if, biggest if, learning if, if, for you need, me. if you need introductions to good uh, good web development houses you know Google when Google came to Krakow, they said, we're not coming because it's cheap. They're coming because of the talent. And Poland's it's a top 10 country in the world for developers. So are you, but that's just out there. You might, find yeah. that, you might find that some your mailbox starts filling in with random emails. <laughs> if you want to take an opinion on some of, some of them, I can, I can happily put you in. Well, we, we, we have actually, we've got, we're working with some guys in Romania. Mm-hmm. Uh, a company called Vitamin, who it's just been chalk and cheese. The working relationships just been incredible. We're using, you know, using Slack, embracing technology, instant responses. It's just so different to the relationship we had um, with the guys in Bath. But the the reality was that you know my advice to anybody going go, going forward is if you're going to build a new website. Just build an MVP, get that working really well, and then and, start and by, adding. By the way, for, for listeners who aren't up on, uh, most of you know, but that means minimum viable product. And there's this, there's this concept, um, I think it was a book by Eric Reese. I think it was about a book called The Lean Startup. And the idea is you just build something simple, get it in front of customers, listen to what they say. Don't don't worry about the cool guy in the room with, with, with the funky clothes who's invoicing you a thousand something a day or an hour. Listen to customers, worry about what they say and get feedback from them. And it's, it's kind of obvious, but a lot of people don't do it. Um, yeah, it, it becomes really, really obvious when you spend a quarter of a million pounds really badly. Um, and yeah, so that was the, that was where it kind of okay. that was yeah my biggest lesson I would say is is not spending all your investment and, in one and, go and have clear agreements with your co-founders. And, and then there's two more things. One is just about your your sales and marketing. Where do you get the expertise from to 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 get your marketing message out there? And have you got someone in your team who's like really good at you know conversion funnels and price? optimization and all that kind of stuff it's funny i think weirdly i think marketing is one of the areas that it's the role that we've really struggled to fill we've worked with a couple of different agencies we've had a couple of different employees i've spent a lot of time doing it myself and it's something that we all i feel like we haven't nailed but i guess everybody i speak to from the outside talks about how well we do do social media and how how much they appreciate the content so yeah we've had a number of failed relationships but i think our content because it's new and fresh and it's engaging isn't it you've got world number ones telling you how to play squash mm-hmm. that goes down so well on social media people become naturally intrigued if they're passionate about the sport and from there they'll go and dive into the site so so content creation's never been a problem for us uh, because we're churning out new playlists every single week you are but a, now, you are you are a content company so, well exactly so. exactly um so that's been that's been quite straightforward but we've actually just got a fantastic new mentor who i've been working with since april last year and um, i'm working with his business partner who are piloting a kind of a marketing agency for startups i think there's it can be difficult to go and find agencies you know you can go and spend a fortune with a social media agency and they'll run your social media ads but actually they're not building a sales funnel and then if you want to go and build a sales funnel with a traditional marketing agency it can cost you a fortune yeah. so these guys are, are trying to specialize and understand if there is a a model in applying kind of lean methodologies and ruthlessly prioritizing tests to understand 
your funnel. So that we've been doing that for about two or three months. What are, what are they called? Implement. Um, Raison Logic is uh, is their company, but they're still not. It's still a pilot. You know, there isn't an agency established yet. I'm just working with Andrew and Tim to try and understand if this works for us, if it works works for them. But it's a fascinating concept, and we're you know we're changing the way we work dramatically. As I said, I'm like a magpie and get attracted to shiny things and get distracted. Mm. Whereas these guys are just ruthless prioritization. We're in Trello. We're working to OKRs. We've got three OKRs, mm-hmm. and if project doesn't relate to an OKR, project doesn't get done. That's every op- week. Is that operational key result? Is it is it operation? It's a Google thing, isn't it? OKR or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, objectives and key results. Objectives, uh, objectives and key results. Yeah. So yeah, we've got our three uh, OKRs at the moment. Oh, no. <clears throat> Sorry. So yeah, we've got our objectives and key results, and then our projects fall under under one of those three objectives. Well, what are, what are, what are, what are your your three OKRs? Um. So one is. Uh, take control of the platform. So that was kind of working with the new um, web developers. The second one was understand the growth funnel and and scalability. Understand if our revenue figures are achievable and if we can build a funnel that will allow us to scale. And then the other one is is maintenance of the current subscription rate effectively at the moment. So we're trying to make sure we stay afloat, then understand what it takes to scale and then just take control of the web platform. So nothing else exists in the company mm-hmm. apart from those those three um, key results. Uh, and then we, we use Trello every week. We we reevaluate the projects that we're all currently working on. So everyone within the team uh, has their face on a project. They're the leader of a project, and we just prioritize. And we're trying to, we have delivery projects and we have discovery projects. So delivery is, right, this is what we're going to do. We know there will be a result from this. So we're going to do this this week to deliver that result. And then a discovery project is something we don't know the answer to, well, we don't know an answer to a question. So we're saying, is it possible to do this? What tests we need to do this week to answer that question? And that's what's helping us then build this funnel. And I'm still trying to get my head around it because... You know, I get distracted, whereas these guys don't. Well, why are you doing that? What What are you learning? What's the result? Is that more important than that thing? If it is, that's what you focus on. Mm. Uh, so that's the process we're now going through to to build this sales funnel. You're being knocked into shape by these guys, basically. Absolutely, and it's great, and I, yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more than happy to be. Um, but we're starting at the top of the funnel and working our way down. Mm. Uh, What's your what's, what's your growth at the moment? How, how, have you got a uh, about thirty? January to January, we did thirty percent, thirty percent increase on last year. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I, again, I, I was speaking to someone yesterday who's got a new SaaS software as a service business that's growing at thirty percent a month, and I'm rather jealous. Mm. <laughs> jealous is the wrong word. I'm impressed. I, I don't do jealousy. I think it's great. Um, he, he's, uh, but it's. Uh, you know, once you've cracked it, and again, you know, if, if everything's going fine, that's great. If if you are interested in, there are some some individuals I work with who do sort of marketing automation experiments, and again, you know, there's always a question: of what's the least you can spend to get a reasonable 
a reasonable view of is it a good idea to do slideshares or you know new, yeah. if you don't spend enough money it's as they'll always tell you you don't get a meaningful result and you know if you've got a lifetime value of your customers of i don't know say they last for three years so it might be 300 euros then i, I then that's that does limit how much you can throw at it compared to some companies yeah absolutely i mean at this stage we're we're not looking for the 30 percent month-on-month growth what we're looking for is understanding or asking the questions to understand what will allow the business to scale to yield that growth rate so we've got you know the okrs are maintain however many signups per week to stay afloat but it's understanding the questions that will lead to that scalability so that hopefully it will be you know this is how what it will cost to acquire those customers if you want to scale you're going to have to put this much money in to allow you to to make that happen yeah. so hopefully that growth is going to come from this learning in six months time yeah one 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 feedback that i was going to give earlier but somehow we moved on is that i think quite an interesting well my i I always lose money when i assume there are other people out there like me and i tend to build build products to myself in the different businesses which is a mistake but you know i think an interesting screening question when people on board is how much time are they ready to devote to squash because in my case, it's a it, it's a hobby that I do. You know, if I'm lucky, I get a game in a week. Um, not while I'm injured, but it's you know the idea that. And I think there's more. So it's like how to use your platform if you're like the you know the the occasional casual player. It, 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 there's, there's probably a big lot of people out there who for whom it's <laughs> and it, it, the platform and it's great, but it is a bit overwhelming. And how to make it easy for you know is there a sort of a simplified but not necessarily cheaper. It's almost like you might. Less could be more for some people, if you know what I mean. Well, I think the the reality of we're very aware of that, and I want to lower the barrier to entry. Uh, I think our, we're not we're not fully mobile optimized. I mean, the website is optimized for mobile, but it's not a great experience at the moment. Uh, I think we need to get an app. And what I'd like to do is is as, as what I was talking about earlier is the fact we've offered one price point essentially for five years. What I want to do is offer a lower price point for less. Mm. have the, the current price point for a bit more but then have a you know a premium package maybe incorporating say squash tv membership as well and you know as you talked about uh, monthly feedback or direct access to coaches as a premium package and then we can look to get towards negative churn you know because rather you can onboard people at a lower the lowest level the cheapest level you know you pay 199 a week or 199 a month you get the content pushed to an app and then it gets deleted after a couple of weeks or, mm. you know, not exactly sure what it is. But then from there, once you've got people using the product, you can demonstrate value and then you, then you, you know, try and encourage them to move up to the next subscription level. And then from there, keep moving them up. So that's something we a hundred percent want to achieve. Mm. And I, I think you're completely right. It's how do you, how do you cater for the beginner or how do you cater for the person who plays once a week? Because there's no doubt we offer value to players of all levels. Every single person who plays squash can benefit from squash yeah. skills, rather, regardless of the first time they picked up a racket or if they're a professional coach who's been coaching for 20 years because they can get some new ideas. But it's how do you demonstrate that value and how what I don't think we do well enough at the moment is uh, just, you know, break up the information so it's logical if you're at this level you follow this pathway if you're at this level you go you know take this pathway at the moment it's here's 
300 playlists, mm. go and search for what you find useful. So there's, you know, product development will be something really exciting to dive into over the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that brings me on to the sort of final question, which is where, where this is going to take you. You said you get easily distracted and, you know, obviously you've got your other things going on, but do you have any idea what, where I, both squash skills and you personal will be in three, five, seven, ten, fifteen years time? And by the way, this isn't a this isn't a job interview, and it's not it's not like, it's not like there's a right or wrong answer. It's just like it, it is. It's an unusual thing to be the leader of an enterprise, and you know you have so much more. It's much more of a prison, and you're much freer than a normal person in a way. Yeah, it's an interesting question. We've we're just. Um, Secure it well, going through the, the process of finalizing a deal with professional squash association. So they're coming on board. Um, you know, we're going to be much, much closer partnered up. So I think the squash skills as a company, I think we want to, I'm really keen to embed us in the fabric of this, the squash world. Definitely. I want to look at coaching qualifications and global coaching qualifications. Mm-hmm. I want to empower players to become coaches where they don't have access to to becoming coaches themselves. I want to do an online qualification. Um, and I think we need to become more streamlined as business and offer, offer these different pathways. But I think that relationship with PSA will shape where we go from here in many ways, because that, you know, I think combined, I think we're a powerful, a powerful entity and we can, we can really change the game, uh, on a personal level. Uh, I, I want to see this achieve what it, or what it could definitely possibly or what it could can achieve I want to follow it through to fruition I've had unfulfilled potential as a professional squash player and I want to see squash skills fulfill its potential because you know I need to get to where I wanted to in the squash world but at some point I think I need to go and do something else as well or I love like fly fishing is is a huge passion of mine I would love to go and do something equivalent in the fishing world which is completely you know, completely out of the squash world um, for a period, but but we'll see when we get to that point. I don't think I think we're three, five, six, seven years off off of that at this stage. Um, but on a personal level, I think yeah, it's probably I would have been involved with squash for probably thirty years at that point, and that's a long <laughs> that's a long time to be consumed by by a sport. Um, but I think this model, I love, you know, this scalable learning is something that I'm really excited about and really passionate about. And if I could take that into some other area, some other focus, then, then that could be interesting for me. Okay, well, if, if anyone's listening to this, and we're, we're going to wrap, wrap this now, if anyone's listening to this and wants to get in touch with you or pitch you with their idea or, or get your advice, what's the right? What's the best way of people reaching you? Uh, just email jeff at squashskills.com or, or find me on Facebook, Jeff Robinson. Easily contactable uh, either of those channels. Okay, and just before before we wrap, is there anything else you think that I, I anything you'd like to share with the audience that I haven't asked that you think's important, or you know, if there's one more thing you want to say to people about what you've learned or you think they should do, what would it be? Um, I think yeah, a book that's really there's a book that was really resonated with me. Um, by Daniel Pink called Drive, which is, you know, he pushes the idea of or that happiness comes from autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And I think the more you dive into that as a concept, the more you realise what makes us happy and what makes employees within a company happy. So, 
if you can achieve that, if you can, your autonomy, you're in charge, you're the one driving it, or if your employees are working for you, you're giving them autonomy over a certain area of business, you're empowering them. Um, Mastery, if you can get really good at something, or you can allow your employees to get really, really good at something, then they're going to feel more fulfilled, you'll feel more fulfilled. And then purpose, you want to be doing something for, for a reason or a cause that you genuinely believe in. And when you start looking at those three things within business sense or even on a wider scale about, you know, with regards to life, I think it becomes very obvious and easy to identify where success will come from and what will ultimately make you happy or make a business work or make your employees happy. Um, so that's something I've really dived into over the last kind of six, 12 months. And yeah, those three things, autonomy, mastery, and purpose within a business context, makes so much sense and, and that book by, by Daniel Pink is definitely mm-hmm. definitely worth a read yeah we'll, we'll put that in the show notes he's also given some TED, TED at least one TED talk possibly more which I and I was actually lucky enough to attend his workshop when I went to a TED a TED event in Canada in 2016 and it's very interesting because a lot of his books about happiness and contentment and he he comes across I would say he comes across as content and but like the body language was not like I'm not sure how happy he was he was like apps <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I, I, I know if he's listening, which I would imagine is not going to happen, you know, I, I have no evidence for this. It was just, it seemed very focused. Right. <laughs> very, yeah, that's very intelligent, um, extremely clear communicator, and um, certainly a terrifically good speaker. And his books are absolutely great. So we can certainly, certainly share those. Well, well Jethro, uh, thank you very much indeed for your time. It's been really interesting to have you on the program. And I'll, I'll drop you. I think I've got in my notes there's something I need to send you, but I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember what it, what it is. But, but it, I, I think it's been a really, really interesting story. If your, if your journey in life ever takes you towards Poland you're very welcome to get in touch and you know maybe we could even organize a kind of workshop or you know you could give a talk here about what you're doing to a live audience um and um yeah I, I'll, I wish wish you wish you all the best if, if you like this episode please do leave us a, a a review on iPhones or Stitcher or Breach or whatever podcast app you 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 use to listen to it and if you if you um, don't like the episode send me a polite email <laughs> we're always interested in positive feedback okay thank you very much indeed thank you Richard bye bye well the reflection I have is never made it to top of squash you know as a sport but in this way we are the best in the world at something which is it's pretty cool thank you for listening to another episode of project kashmir brought to you by me your host richard lucas if you enjoyed listening check out additional podcasts on our webpage projectkashmir.com or on itunes where you can also subscribe so you never miss an episode and also leave us a five-star review if you feel like it We welcome feedback and suggestions of new interviewees, whether as comments on projectkashmir.com or via our page on Facebook. This podcast was produced by Adam Zuber. Thank you again for listening. You know, vision is all great and well, but execution is actually the key. The actual process of meeting those people, working with them, is in itself a huge reward. Interaction between the university and the business high-tech community is absolutely fundamental. Diversity creates a healthy ecosystem, and I think that I'm seeing more and more that diversity. It's not just about individuals, but about new individuals.
about you know um, new initiatives. Sometimes they overlap with each other. Sometimes they might be cannibalizing each other. But the reality is that you want to have as many as possible because that accelerates the big picture. We're not going to have everyone in the world here. And in this connected world, we don't need everyone here. But but the, the you know the artists and the designers, the creatives, they're very much part of what we what we've got and what we need. So if you're listening again somewhere else in the world and you feel you, you're looking for a place where your 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 creative juices will run, then 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 this city is certainly a place where you can find yourself. And I think you can make history in Poland. I think you can be part of something much bigger than you could be a part of in the United States right now. Not just from a, you know, going out to San Francisco to make Silicon Valley richer, but but making a new part of the world um, grow at a much faster rate, be a much bigger part of that community, and and making it wealthy not just for wealth's sake, but for uh, a purpose which is to make that country's government stronger, 